0: When the opponent expands, I contract. When he contracts, I expand. And when there is an opportunity,
1: I do not hit. It hits all by itself. Now, you must remember the enemy has only images and illusions behind which he hides his true motives. Destroy the image and you will break the enemy. The it. That you refer to is a powerful weapon easily misused by the martial artist who deserts his spouse. For centuries now, the code of the Shaolin Temple has been preserved. Remember, the honor of our brotherhood has been held true.
2: You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind. 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 A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, D-Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl B. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linet. Mind expansion engaged.
1: Seasons Greetings folks This is a delayed First start Unfortunately folks Please accept our apologies And I'll explain to my co-discussants in a moment Um, uh, Unfortunately Captain Kirk Will not be available He has an emergency situation So we have our our prayers go to him Um, So we we will continue Even though we had a false start A late start These things do happen Seasons greetings And all of that folks Uh Again, this is the Glide House. The call number is 646-915-9620. 646-915-9620. So, let's do the holiday groove thing for a few moments. It is Christmas. I was I was trying to figure out something else. I mean, there are a number of other holidays going on too, but um, hey, with the way the way things are going down going down now with Donald Trump. I'm assuming we're going to be able to say just Christmas. <laughs> a lot of things are going to be returning, allegedly. Anyway, quick, real quick groove, and then we'll get into our discourse. This is Slay Ride, Elitha Fitzgerald, and it's a remix, so we'll be right back. Let's groove.
2: with No, okay.
1: Mike's back as well folks Again that was Ella Gerald Sleigh Ride A remixed Yuletide classic Once again this is the grindhouse Let me just get into this whole, whole deal I see that uh, the remainder of, our, of my Co-discussants They are here again Captain Kirk is unavailable He has a, a family emergency So I hope everything is okay um, I'll connect with him after the show um, However Folks Remember, the call-in number is 646-915-9620, so feel free to join in. Anyway, you know who this gentleman is. He is the uncanny Daryl B., always a necessary component of the grindhouse Afro Nerd Radio machinery. So let's just open up the door for him.
0: My thanks to G. Willow Wilson. If you haven't read this week's uh, Miss Marvel, I encourage you all to do it. It's... Uh, especially relevant given what we just went through with the selection. Thank you.
1: Who is the 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 maker of that um I mean the um the printing house? Uh Marvel. Okay, you said Marvel. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, Miss Marvel. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm a little flabbergasted. <laughs> These things I hate starting a show late, but um well listen, we're professionals, so we're going to power through. This woman is also a professional. Let me, get, let me get her intro going. There you go. All is right in the world if I get her intro working. She's our left coast correspondent. She's a veteran in this game now. <laughs> She's been with us for quite some time, for a little bit now. It feels like a long time now, but because we're so comfortable with each other. Again, out of the left coast, she is Claire Lene. Let me bring her in. Claire. What's up? Hey! How are you? Here we are. Listen, my apologies for for starting so late. But it was unavoidable, unfortunately. And I got to check with Kirk because, um... Well, you know, these things happen. Um, You know, issues and things like that. uh, Medical concerns and so forth. So, uh, I'll catch up with him at the end of the show. Um and he has our prayers obviously uh, he and our and uh, his his family uh, let's let's get into some of the uh the topics well you know first <laughs> first Claire are you ready for uh, a roundup
3: uh yeah i mean like i said as of lately you know it's going to be quick and breezy um so let's get into it
1: all right, let's let's go so to the ground, uh, to the roundup, and then we'll come back. I'm sorry. So let's go to your, let's go to your roundup, and then we'll get into our to the topics after that. So let's go let's go to your roundup, and then we'll power forward.
3: All right. So uh, for Rogue One, the runtime is expected to be approximately two hours and thirteen minutes. Doctor Strange has passed six hundred million dollars worldwide which has made it become Marvel Studios' highest-grossing single-character debut ever. Uh, Author Anne Rice has regained the theatrical rights to her Vampire Chronicles and is planning on developing a TV series. Uh, Spider-Man's Tom Holland is in talks to join Star Wars' Daisy Ridley in a post-apocalyptic thriller called Chaos Walking, Doug Lyman is set to direct. Warner Brothers says that it wants Westworld to be HBO's next Game of Thrones and also will plan on, on maintaining its its solid structure and, and world-building of DC and the Fantastic Beasts franchises. Uh, let's see. Speaking of Rogue One, since that's going to be on the brain a lot, coming out very soon. It's had the second highest first day of ticket pre-sales. Also, considering that it's the prequel to A New Hope, it should be no surprise that Kathleen Kennedy has said that there will be no sequel to Rogue One. Uh, Let's see. Nearly 30 years after playing Harvey Dent In the 1989 Tim Burton's uh, movie Batman, Billy Dee Williams will voice Two-Face in the Lego Batman. Former WWE star Cody Rhodes says that he wants to play Black Bolt in Marvel's Inhumans series next year. And let's see if there's anything else I got. A couple more. Uh, Jurassic World 2 has added the get down star um Justice Smith to its cast, and last but not least, Warner Brothers has confirmed a solid release date for Aquaman as of right now it is set to uh, be in theaters October fifth two thousand eighteen and that's all I got for the roundup right back to you
1: all right um folks. Let's just get into this, this uh, discourse about the DCWB crossover. I'm very curious as to hear what my co-discussants uh, have to say about this four-day event where we had literally Supergirl, who's new to the fold on CWs, a Supergirl crossing over with The Flash, crossing over with Arrow, and the finale, of course, is with Legends of Tomorrow. So let me pass the mic to the uncanny darryl b and get his thoughts on the four-day crossover event darryl what are your thoughts wow there was
0: a lot of racism against the metas shown during this thing um uh listen we said it before all right uh, we've said it on the show ever since the the they they came up with the plans for the the, the theatrical universe right we said that that They should take cues from the CW universe Because even though we have Problems with it The CW universe Has by and large shown That they've gotten the core Of these characters right Okay And it was on display here I mean It was uh, uh, Barry's overwhelming sense of hope Uh, Oliver's like Pessimistic uh, pessimistic but, but I'm the rock of the group Sort of thing You know um, the, uh, It This is one that was just fun Alright I mean I, uh, At times It was like a fish out of water Okay Especially Supergirl Because honestly You saw that uh, Legends of Tomorrow especially they Didn't know exactly how to use her which I find amazing, cause it, it, she's Supergirl. <laughs> I mean, we've seen what she could do. Uh, the whole thing with the meta bomb, or or the gene bomb, or however they're gonna phrase it, you know, you get Firestorm to do to 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 work on that. Uh, you got Supergirl. She can like lift it and throw it. Like out of you know, little stuff like that 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 bug you as a comic book fan, but at the same time it was fun, and kudos to the writers—they nailed all the small situations here, correct? All right, Cisco wanting to blow up Barry's spot, angry at Barry, and then realizing he came down and him and Steel actually did the same thing as Barry, you know. Um, Diggle being mad, but then realizing I I love my son. You know, I, I can't really stay. I I mean, I, so 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 you, you can't really stay mad. <laughs> you know, you you could be mad at what is lost, but look at what you've gained. I mean, the Stein thing. I hope they follow up on the Stein Daughter thing. I right? I hope because that is a very, very big situation. You know? But again, as I say that, there's parts that they they did. Where was Jax for the whole third episode? <laughs> or excuse me, the the whole second episode and like half of Legends, you didn't see Jax anywhere around. Uh, kind of important. I would I would like to see the interplay, you know? i I said on twitter i secretly I secretly hoped that, as this was going on, you know the the old vixen would have met the new vixen i <laughs> uh, again, it's a geek out fanboy thing, but this is the sort of thing that the c w by getting most a majority of their stuff right, yes, even in arrow, by getting a majority of their stuff right. We as fanboys, we as fangirls, we as uh, geeks, we as nerds, we as blurs, we can hope. We can hope and go, oh, this might happen, or oh, I'm so pumped. That's something you're not getting out of the movie portion. All right? So I, I only hope that the best thing out of this is not Brandon Routh slash Ray Palmer's line about Kara going, you know, I have a I have a cousin that looks exactly like her. Or Kara's line where Earth's Mightiest Heroes. My hope, the best thing that comes out of this is the theatrical side learns. Hey, we can lighten things up a bit
1: and have still have fun. Back to you, D. Bert. All right, um, Claire, what were your thoughts about this four-day extravaganza? CW
2: um
3: well I I thought it was it was pretty good I mean I I liked it just fine um the thing is is that the first and the third uh installment that means Supergirl and Arrow really didn't feel like a crossover to me for Supergirl, there is literally zero crossover until the last 30 seconds. It really is just a regular Supergirl episode, and that's okay. I'm okay with that because I, I'm, I'm okay with the show, and I'm, I'm actually kind of liking the changes now. At first, it was a little bit, you know, it's a little jarring because you're transitioning from a different network, and now you're transitioning from Jimmy Olsen and uh, James into mon being a potential, you know, flirtation, love interest, whatever. you know, and Cat Grant. So, yeah, a lot of changes were made that felt a little abrupt at first. But now that I'm seeing it unfold and I'm seeing the sister Alex kind of getting her own storyline and, and and character development and all that, I'm I'm liking it. So I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. But I'm just saying, if you're going to call this a crossover – have it be a crossover, because literally it is not for her until the last 30 seconds. Um, let's see, for Flash, Flash, it's definitely, that is the crux of the whole episode. That's, that is the show, because that's their game, time travel. That's their whole bit, you know, um, interdimensional, you know, uh, multiverse you know, traversing, I mean, that's, that is what they do, so it makes sense that that's the majority of what the story, you know, involves, and that's where the aliens, you know, the Dominators crash, and that's the, with Lila, and all that, it all makes sense, so that, I thought that was fine, that worked out just fine, I'm still a little unsure of how I feel about the, the resolution between Cisco and, and Barry, and, and, just i mean even the the conflict to begin with felt a little wonky to me but anyway if they're back to being best friends that's great um i mean it was kind of fun for me that was my favorite part honestly my favorite part just because we're so in tune to that mindset now this whole year um I told you, it was the year of the verses. You know, 2016 is about division. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Trump and Hillary. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Apple versus FBI. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Captain America or Iron Man or Batman versus Superman. This is the year of the verses. Daredevil, Punisher. It was all about the big match, the big fight, the big conflict. So I actually enjoyed that portion the best when they all became as they as as Barry likes to call it, whammied where the aliens, you know, had the orb that took over their mind and they all were attacking, you know, Arrow and Flash and wreaking havoc and and so watching them fight each other, I enjoy that. I like watching them fight each other because who better? Who better to be your best opponent? Who better to be your best nemesis in that in that particular situation than somebody who already knows the the style with which you fight? They know all your strengths. They know all your weaknesses. So I I thought that was the most fun for me. Arrow again didn't feel like much of a crossover. Not really. And again, I don't blame them because this is their landmark episode. This for them is about bringing back the dead, you know, bringing back all the voices that haunt you, bringing back all the cast members over the years that have been killed off, and playing with this, this dream sequence, this idea that, you know, you, you could just have this perfect life and be here it's funny because supernatural they did an episode like this and other science fiction you know shows and, and other projects have, have touched on this kind of idea it's kind of a well-known plot device the idea that you could have everything you've ever wanted or everything you thought you ever wanted but the thing is it it you know just like when supernatural happened it was a again a prison it's a mental prison just to keep you there because why would you ever want to leave and anyway so it was interesting you know seeing everybody seeing laurel seeing the mother the father all of them in the same room together um in terms of Legends of Tomorrow, it was okay. It was pretty good. I mean, it was it, it definitely again. It was nice to see all the, you know most of the gang get together. Um, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and I'm I'm glad to hear that consistently, all four shows have um, benefited from the event. It was heavily promoted. We all knew about it. We were all waiting for it for the last several months, and they all benefited from it ratings-wise. Um, there, there were some parts, like I said, just some parts character-wise or visual effects-wise, plot-wise, that I felt were a little bit, like, questionable, <laughs> a little unclear. Um could have been smoothed over or handled a bit better. But I'm not hating. I'm not mad. I mean, this is a lot of work to try to to try to, you know, write basically a four-piece, you know, a four-piece arc across all shows and still maintain each individual show's personality, their sense of humor or lack thereof. Um I Found myself rolling my eyes a couple times during Arrow because, of course, I'm going to watch it for the crossover. But at the same time, I am reminded of all the things I don't like about Arrow. I, I just, I don't know. It, it is what it is. But, uh, but yeah. I mean, I hope they do this again. I hope this becomes like some sort of annual tradition. I think that would be a lot of fun. And I think it it was, it was pretty well handled. We'll see. In terms of answering your question, Daryl, yes, that actress is going to come back as a recurring for Dr. Stein's daughter. Awesome. She's coming back. But, again, I just felt like the way in which that was introduced and then the turn. Because, remember, there's all these emotional turns. Like, oh, Cisco hates Barry. Oh, wait, now he's okay. We're cool. Oh, I can't. This is this is an aberration. Oh my god, I messed up the timeline and and now I have a daughter. Oh, oh wait. No, I love her and I need to protect her and I don't want to erase her. And I see the turn between feeling one way and then feeling another. Those I felt were rushed and didn't feel authentic or <laughs> very clearly expressed at all. But again, I'm not mad because you only have so many minutes. You only have, like, less than 45 minutes to tell your story, and you've got quadruple the number of people running around, you know, needing something to do, needing dialogue, needing to be of purpose. So I'm not mad. I get it. I get why they had to rush through a lot of these little, you know, storylines. But for the most part, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I I. I'm I'm positive that the uh, movie side of Warner Brothers is not going to pay attention. They're not going to look at this as, "Hey, maybe we could learn something from this." No, they're not. They made that clear from get-go. So, we know I'm not going to try to expect any more fun from the movie side. I'm just going to just take it for what it is. That this is a separate entity and I think that the CW is rocking it.
1: Yeah, you know, um I'll I'll say a few things. Um first I, I, I really enjoy myself. I, it definitely felt like on on many occasions and looking at this thing it it felt like a comic book coming to life. It literally did. I mean, you know, you think about how how hokey some of this stuff I mean it has it has its share of hokey hokeyism. <laughs> hokum, But um for the most for the most part, as far as even the CGI you know, years ago, if any kind of comic book interpretation were to make the TV, you had to really like go through these, these this angst as to is it going to be any good? I mean, if you if anyone could remember the nineteen seventies Marvel TV superheroes when they when they had the Hulk, well, the Hulk wasn't that bad, but it was still it had its moments. Although Lou Ferrigno is 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 huge, so there was some some believability factor in that. Maybe maybe the Hulk I might have to take out as a TV series. Uh but everything else, you know, when they had the Thor and Daredevil, uh it, it was just it was just bad. I mean, you know, you can look at it now with some kind of fondness, but you know, but now we're at a point where you can kind of see that the CGI there's this singularity point that I've always spoken about on Afro Nerd. That uh of course the movies, there's more money involved, but the technology is the technology, and it's still going to be a point where you're going to start to see that some of this stuff is going to be almost catching up, where you, you, can, you can pretty much enjoy this stuff because of the CGI. So I appreciate it on that level. There are some plot points that were pretty sticky, there are some meta humor points that I thought were funny. Daryl referenced the Brandon Routh shout out. And um, I believe Berlanti has already been, people are already asking about that. And they're assuming <laughs> that. Because for for him, for him to say that she kind of sort of looks like my, my cousin, obviously that's a shout-out to his, his 2006 turn as the, the Man of Steel himself in the, in the cinematic universe. But it also opens up the door that, well, maybe um, Benoist can come in as that, as that cousin on, on Earth. You know, the whole doppelganger thing is, is pretty prevalent on the CW. So we, we don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, he essentially said it was kind of a one-off. You know, I mean, as far as that particular joke meaning anything. But you, but you never know. Obviously, that device, and again, folks, we're talking about the CW crossover event, four-day crossover event. That device that Cisco created for, for Kara, that's going to make it very plausible and easy for her to interact with everyone. Arrow, Legends of, of Tomorrow. So I, I'm kind of excited about that. And I, I, I will confess, I, I do have this family thing. I do like when, when, when people are friendly and family toward each other. That kind of camaraderie really gets me. So that, that group hug thing <laughs> that they did, and I think it was, um, it was Arrow, Ollie begrudgingly wanted a hug, but you could see how that was, you know, they're friends, super friends. <laughs> also, the Hall of Justice. Hall of Justice. Yep. I knew I mean, once that, you said
0: super friends, you were going to bring up the Hall of Justice.
1: I mean, they brought that there to life. Uh, that was pretty interesting. They, they're always doing little little pricks and, and nods to the stuff that we grew up on. So I really, I really cannot hate... On what they did, and, and we, we, we've known for quite some time that they were going to do. When they first did the, the Arrow Flash crossover, and they talked about how the ratings jumped on that, this is going to be a thing. So to, to assuage your fears, Claire, or your concerns, yes, this is going to be a big to-do. Matter of fact, uh, I think there's another so – they're going to have a number of crossovers, not just – they're going to probably, probably have this – it's like a comic book. See, this is why, why this is, it, you can't hate on it. Just like a com- comic book where they have these big crossover events, that's going to be an annual thing. But then they have these mini crossovers that are going to be happening all the time because they just work as far as ratings. So they're, they're already talking about Supergirl and Flash having this crossover thing uh, as a musical, which is coming up. So right. they're not going to stop it. It's just going to expand. So, I, I'm excited about it. I, I, I thought it was pretty well done. I, I was, I was. Um, well, I mean,
3: the musical I mean, I saw... aspect of it seems a little silly. I'll be honest; it seems a little silly to me. Because um, all of a sudden, in my mind, I'm like, I'm picturing, I'm picturing, you know, Cara and Barry doing, you know, in
2: summer loving, have me a
3: blast. You know, oh, I'm like, God. I'm, I'm <laughs> imagining this as doing some kind of grease. You know silliness, and I'm just kind of like, okay, all right, you're having you're having your fun, but come on. The thing is, is that I, I'm you're right. I'm not hating on any of it because I think that what they achieved here is fantastic. I mean, they I'm telling you, if only, if only the upper echelon folks who were running the film side were paying attention to this, because especially for legends. And the, the fourth installment of this this whole crossover, when they finally have their their version their version of the Civil War splash page of the epic battle, you know, two sides you know running towards each other and and doing their thing. I mean, that was awesome. That was amazing, and that is a, a quite a feat to accomplish on television. Especially for a CW budget. Not even a CBS, not even, you know, <laughs> ABC or Fox, but a CW budget. And they were able to rock that. So I'm, hey, I'm definitely looking forward for them to, uh, to, to keep trying this because, like you said, it is absolutely quintessential comic book, you know, tradition to have these people crossing over into each other's lives and stories. So I'm, no, I I hear you. I definitely want to see more of this.
0: Well, that's the scary thing, too. Uh, People, we joke about the musical crossover, but half of the combined cast of these shows came from Glee, and a couple were even in High School (laughs) Musical. So so, uh, as me... I can laugh and say no way, but um, <clears throat> they've done it before, you know. Uh, if they do it, I just hope they do it like how Buffy pulled it off or how um, Angel pulled it off, because they both had musical musical episodes that went over pretty well. Me, I'm not do I'm not that dude. <laughs> it, it, it took forever for me to get the original Hamilton cast recording, and then, and then uh, of course I picked up the mixtape. You know, it took me forever because I'm not a musical dude. But at the same time, they do have the cast for it. I'm just saying.
1: I hear you. Well, the, well, the musical stuff. It, I guess usually it, it, you know, it it adds to the hokiness of it. However, there have been moments where I have to concede to the musical moments. Uh, Am I Blue with Batman in the animated series, I, I, I thought it was terrific. It, 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 was, it, was, uh, it was incredible. I mean, it's, it's, that's such a legendary episode that everyone references. it, and people who are into this stuff, they referenced that Am I Blue thing. Um, Batman singing. It was so uh, out of character and yet in character because Batman can allegedly do anything. So that was cool, and also with, um, I do look at Lucifer, and the, uh, the, the actor, what's his name, Tom something, I forgot his, his full name, my apologies, I'll look it up in a moment, but the actor for DC's, uh, DC Fox's Lucifer, uh, he's playing the piano, he's singing, and it somewhat fits, so these, these actors I have just, these abilities. I don't even watch the
3: show. I don't even watch the show, but from what you're describing, I could totally see him doing that. I could totally see him, you know, playing the piano, singing, has a, you know, a, a cognac, you know, on the piano or something. I, he is that guy. He totally fits that, even though he's supposedly the devil. <laughs> like, that's, that, but that's what fits. That's part of how charming and and kind of plays to the to the opposite, you know. That's what makes these characters interesting. If you don't play it so obvious, you got to play play to the opposite characteristics of what you assume this person would be. Whatever, you know, evil or good, you know, they may supposedly possess. But uh yeah, I haven't really seen that show, honestly. It's not my thing, but I could totally see him being that guy.
1: Yeah, I I dig. I dig. uh, Lucifer. Um, He's coming from the Sandman universe, so there's definitely a DC thing. Uh, Listen, I would like to see Constantine on that show. I doubt it, but I I think that that actor is still kind of lingering around. There's a lot of fan support for the for the actor um, uh, Matt Ryan, if I remember correctly. Matt Ryan, who plays. uh, um, Why am I forgetting? I'm I'm forgetting things. I'm like bad as uh, Trump. Um,
0: Constantine.
1: Constantine, thank you, Jesus. Con- <laughs> the actor who plays Constantine. He's, you know, he's still very much alive in this, and I think he's he, he's revising, reprising the the role in the DC uh, JLA Dark Justice League Dark. So,
0: um, and, he's supposed, be, and he's supposed to show oh, up, up on Legends. He's supposed to show up sometime in the second half of the season. Let's
1: see, or at a, least a, that again, was the why, rumor. Why are they? Why are they? Why are they Teasing this guy, the guy had like three or four million uh, viewers on an NBC show. I'm pretty sure it would have done great on CW instead of this Riverdale thing, what we'll talk about. I have no idea what that's going to be like. Mm. Um, you know, something else, something else I wanted to mention too, and then we're going to go to a quick Yuletide thing. Um, one of our supporters, um, Darryl Vader, no relation to our uncanny Darryl, uh, he sent a tweet to me with this Iron Man gamma protocol. And it's essentially uh a fan that made, that that made these CGI, CGI online films as a as a nod and a continuation of some of the stuff that we've seen in Avengers. So, he had a full, I don't know how long it was. Did you see this Darryl? It was like a 10-minute fight? Yeah. B- between uh, b- between the Iron Man Hulkbuster armor and the and of course the Hulk uh, what are your thoughts about that? I'm, I'm going to connect it to what we just saw, the four-day event.
0: Well, what, 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 what have I said since, since we, we, we started the show? I've said is we're going way back in. The tech is out there. You know, we could keep on clamoring as fanboys, fangirls for what we want them to do. But if you're talented enough, the tech is out there where you can do that, that stuff right now. And this fan with Gamma Protocol actually did it, and you know what? <laughs> Sorry to say, that looked kind of better than Iron Man: Rise of the Technovore. It didn't look as good as the um, as the the Punisher Black Widow joint. Uh, I forget uh, Avengers Confidential. That one looked better, but but Gamma Protocol looked uh, on. Uh, well, I'll say it looked much better than the Iron Man Captain America animated joint that Marvel and Disney put out and slightly better than the Iron Man Te- Rise of the Technovore joint that they looked out. So I, I will just, I, I, I will say it like that. You know, I, you know it's, it's, there are talented fans out there. We, most of the creators that we've talked to here started as fans. You know, they started doing their own thing before they got their big break. My thing is, when it comes to Marvel, you know, this is the type of thing we need to be putting in. You know, when it comes to DC films, you know, you see what the CW is doing. Don't just poo-poo it saying, oh, that's television. Learn from the fan reaction. Learn from the, the, the stuff that they have that, oh, don't just say all of it's kiddie stuff. You could take parts of it. You could adopt parts of it, put it in your own thing. Of course, give the folks recognition that they, you're using some of their their atmosphere, but it can only enhance the product.
1: You know? Back to you, Afrin. Yeah, well, the reason I brought it up is because I was just thinking that the way that that gentleman produced this Iron Man Gamma Protocol animated short. And I don't know if it was if it's I guess it will be classified as animated, but it was more of a CGI thing because it looked surreal. And you could tell that with more money or uh, maybe a, a b- more money or more um more RAM or what have you that he he would be on par with anyone else uh that's doing work at Marvel or Disney or what have you. And it, it makes you wonder how much does it actually cost to make these movies. I mean, well, I know the man hours. I mean, I've seen calculations of why these CGI movies are are, are expensive. But at the same time, you see a guy that's just posting up his, his work. That's that's you know you could see how some of this stuff would be very advantageous to what we see on Supergirl, on Agents of Shield. That for, for I mean, listen, this is this is far removed. I spoke to a colleague about this a few days ago, that even, what, even with what we're seeing on TV, it's far removed from the George Reeves era. I mean, you really had to stretch your mind with George Reeves, you know, hopping out of windows, and, you know, you had the scrolling background, and, you know, it, it, it was what it was, because it was 1950, 1952-53. But now, you know, these things look you know, pretty, pretty respectable for TV standards, and we know that there are budgetary concerns, but I'm looking at a a guy online who who was essentially telling you how this stuff works even on the big screen with Robert Downey Jr. versus the Hulk uh, for for Avengers, for Avengers 2. So um, I just thought that there's got to be a point where what happens on TV is going to be very, I mean, I think we're almost there to be frank with you. I mean, even with the sequences where you saw um, the, the way that the, the, the ships were rolling in and the aliens were, were, the aliens were somewhat, uh, it was respectable. You know, it, it didn't take it out. You know, if it, When things aren't really that great, it could take you out of the story. And everything that was going on, Supergirl flying around, Flash moving at super speed, all of their power sets kind of moving the way they're supposed to move. I had, really had no complaints. Yeah. You know, um
3: um and I like, felt like it, it was it was that perfect medium. It's that perfect medium that that isn't gonna take itself so seriously, but at the same time is not gonna be so hokey that it's meant to be, you know, laughable. Like like when you said the aliens, like, you know, um Mars attacks.
0: yeah All you, right.
3: <laughs> you know, that's like over the top you know, over the top um and even you know, lovingly, lovingly. I'm you know, referencing um in terms of taking yourself so seriously, those uh those aliens from uh the original the original Star Trek. The um the ones Board? that with the huge heads and and you know what I'm talking oh, about?
2: Um, oh,
0: shoot. Uh you know which episode? Yeah. You know
3: which episode? Like they they could you know psychically control Kirk, you know, and they could. Oh like yeah, yeah. know what
1: the original it's, series, though. The original series.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like right now, what we're seeing it's that it's that happy medium where it's it's not we're not going to be at risk of falling out of it or or being distracted or rolling our eyes or finding fault because either it's taking itself too seriously or because it's just being completely over the top and just kind of ridiculous. It's just that happy medium where you just allow the audience to just jump right in and go for the ride. And, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, we got people flying. we got heat vision. We've got all powers, you know, being whipped around, you know, every which way, and these – Creatures, the Dominators, you know, it's there's 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 a lot there's a lot to it, but yeah, I, I, I was a couple. There were a couple things that I was a little bit confused by. A couple things that did feel a little Mars Attacks to me, or a little a little hokey for the sake of moving a plot forward, like when the president gets evaporated, or you know,
2: like. <laughs> Oh so,
0: yeah, that was Mars attacks right there. Yes, yes. That that was totally Mars attacks. I, hey hey how how about this? Okay, if if we're gonna do dissection. Diggle was military, right? Okay. Diggle's military special forces. If you tell me your plan is all the heroes come in through the front door together where a president is being held, Diggle You got military experience. Go like, this is not a good idea. (laughs) We don't bring in the entirety of our force through the front door. No, you come in several different entrances to wherever the place is being held. That way, if one force is getting taken down, one of the other two forces might succeed. No, we're all going to go in through the front door. I was like, this is idiotic. <laughs> Obviously well, I got, whoever I gotta wrote say, this did not have any military experience whatsoever.
3: Yeah, there was well, no strategy involved there. But you know the thing that also bugged me is something for the sake of having it. Just something for the sake of having it. So when Kara Kara, Miss Eager Beaver, what can I do? What can I do? Remember? You you, you remember me? I'm invincible. I can whoop all your butts. Yeah, when she's coming up to Oliver and he's like, No, stay here. I was like,
2: Excuse me. Excuse me,
3: Cara. Cara, don't take that. Don't take that. You know, it's like show him. Like I I was so irritated by that because to me, again, why? Why don't give me that whole oh well, you know, I this is just not not something that I can process right now or or whatever. And she's like trying to be she's trying to be her sweet, patient, understanding self and when it comes to oh I I just had my my brain washed on a spaceship and she just says, "Well, I'm sure that was very unnerving."
1: <laughs> uh, I I love uh, the fact
2: that he's said. Well, like, well, you know just what? stay you, you, here. You, I can't you, deal with you right well, you know, now. You know what the, Excuse well, you know me? what?
1: This is this 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 is the problem is that you know again you reference the the writers like when I saw that scene I thought that uh, that Oliver telling Kara to stay behind was plausible in a different way like it it, it seemed like they didn't know they seemed like they didn't know where like why not why why he should be telling her as like the the, the full leader of the group or that whatever you want to call him all he had to say is that listen if you get compromised we're not going to be able to handle you. Let's, see, is. What work- let's is. see what we're <laughs> working. Let's see what we're working. Let me finish, Daryl. Let's no, see no, what no. we're working. Let's see what let's see what what we're working with, and then we'll bring you in. But if you get compromised, we won't be able to handle you. Now that comes off more plausible. She can't hate on him, and it doesn't come off like some kind of esoteric reason for why you had to stay behind. That seems like it would be a reason. But just that to kinda- was not
3: made clear it- at all. It-
1: It was like a power move on his part to say, okay, I know you're more powerful than me, but I'm still running this operation. And it it, it didn't have to be that way. You know, I'm, I'm but the play thing my is, is that that
3: was not evident. That, yes, I'm glad that and, and he also, apologized not, because it, the, the story and, the story dictates that he has to have a change of heart and that she, when he falls off the building, she swoops him and, and grabs him and saves him, and so she he, he apologizes because the story dictates it. But it felt completely unearned, whereas what you just said, your explanation makes sense. What you just said makes sense to me. But I'm telling you that that was not evidence in the story at all. To me, he just came off like a dick.
0: No, he came off like wild dog. I don't trust any of you. You guys could do all of this stuff. And it
2: seems all about. our exactly, problems deal with you. Exactly. And in five now minutes later, me.
0: I love you guys. I may not like you, but I love you for saving my life. You know, wait, what? Hey, hey. Let let's quit this way. I I'll say it like this. If that's a sister in the in the supergirl role, Ollie goes, No, you stay here. Two seconds later, while Ollie's about to approach orbit and then Supergirl's super supergirl sister reaches up and grabs him. like, Now what were you telling me to do? I just threw you from the ground nearly in orbit. What was that? What? Stay here?
3: What? Well see, that, see that, that's why that wild, that, wild that. dog scene just irritated the hell out of me. <laughs> what? I was just like, I hate this guy. Like, I hate this guy now because you're just, a, you're just an ass. You're just mean. Like, you, I don't see any redeeming qualities. You're just mean. And so for me, that whole thing, again, it it lends itself to bad writing because then Barry and and Kara, I'm like, hello, are you gonna stand there and just take that? And what do you and then when Barry's like, "Hey, you know, oh, that's another thing, that's another thing. I hate it when when they write Barry in a different style that lends into that particular world, and what I mean by that is in the flash. We're light. We get to be light and effervescent, and we get to be the hero. And, yeah, Barry's always saying, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I messed up the timeline, and I messed up your lives. I'm sorry. I need to go faster. Oh, my God. That Screen Junkies video of The Flash kind of just calling them out on every single thing that they, that they tend to do wrong or that they tend to, you know, rely on too heavily. That was hilarious and I recommend anybody watch that Screen Junkies uh honest trailer of The Flash because it's hilarious. They got him. They totally got them. But the thing is is that at least I I, I understand who and what he is in that world. When he starts going into other people other people's uh, worlds, I don't like what they do with him. I I I think that I think Oliver Oliver benefits from jumping into somebody else's world because I think that it opens him up and we see a different side of him, and it makes him more interesting, more likable, more human, more whatever. But I think it's the opposite for Barry. When he goes into somebody else's world, he, it detracts. It doesn't benefit. It hurts him because when he says something stupid like, dude, What's your damage? I'm just like, oh, my God, stop talking. Stop it.
2: Stop it.
3: No. No. Barry, Barry, you are a CSI. You are a scientist. You are brilliant. What are you doing saying, dude, what's your damage? No. No. I was so, (laughs) oh,
1: my God. I was so irritated by that.
3: I was like, okay, now now I'm mad at both of you.
1: That's the problem with the CW, that the CW has an agenda. And, you know, all of us, for the most part, we try to look for a little bit more plausibility, maybe a little bit of seriousness or a better balancing. I hate to go back to Marvel because folks hate to, hate to talk about it. There's a reason why Marvel has all this money and all this success because they know how to balance this stuff. And the CW, they have such, such an agenda when it comes down to, you know, the people have to look a certain way, has to be very youthful and effervescent. And, that's, and that conflicts with, with actual plot lines and plot points. And let's face it, Arrow is supposed to be a Batman analog. And that's why he did what... That's, that's another reason why they let him do that. He's supposed to be Batman. But, but Bat, Batman would be able to talk down to a metahuman. Down <laughs> doesn't like this. But Batman, Batman has, has established... Uh, a great deal of, of, uh, of an aura or a vibe that I'm not just the guy in a suit that if you mess with me, I got something back. I got a couple of plans, a button to push a password, something is going to hurt you. He, or if anything, I have you, I've mentally f with you enough where where I have you believing me, believe that if you do something to me, there's going to be repercussions because I'm that bad. Uh, Mr. Mr. Queen, you're no, you're no Bruce Wayne. And that's, that's another thing. When Bruce Wayne talks down Bruce Wayne, talk, Bruce Wayne talks that way to Superman. Has done it for over 50 years. So uh, he gets that pass. But Green Arrow is, is supposed to be uh, a, a quasi-Batman, but he's not. That's why it kind of fails. That's why, that's why that scene was a little, a little wonky to me. Let's go to a quick groove. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about CW, but there's a lot more to discuss as well.
0: Yeah, um, Mac Ryder. I actually, want
1: to, I want to talk, actually, I want to actually talk about this, uh, this Tuckerberry Finn thing for a moment. Um, it's a recurring issue with classics and folks co- coming in. This is the Trump period now, that art is being, is being analyzed 150 years later, and these children need to be aware of this stuff. You can't, hide, you can't hide reality from children. But I think, I think they're trying to do it. Anyway, folks, this is the grindhouse. More yuletide grooves. It is what it is. Uh, one of the... One of, an actress that played Batwoman at one time, we saw like a two-second animated version of her, Daryl, on that uh, 1966 Batman that we saw at uh, the comic convention, New York Comic Con. This is Eartha Kitt. Cancer Baby remix. We'll be right back. Let's groove. folks time constraints and all of that that was a great Eartha Kitt remix Santa Baby classic Yuletide groove uh, and I was thinking of the, the, the cartoon that was recently released that, that Daryl and I actually saw at the New York Comic Con a few months ago and that was simply Batman the Cape, the Return of the Cape Crusaders definitely check it out all that Kichi goodness uh, I, I had such a good time that you know just visually even though it was an animation animation it looked it looked dead on with the 1966 series, and, and I might have mentioned this on air before. I know that Daryl also knows about this, that our local comp, comic book store just so happens to be next to a, an automobile uh, collision shop. And the owner, I'm hearing, has several Batmobiles, but one of his customers brought in his Batmobile, which is the one that looks identical to the one – I mean identical to the one. That was in a 1966 series. So every time I look at that thing, I, I feel like I need the lotto. Or something. I mean, I feel like if there's any, any, any time that I thought that I would not drive that car, I'm like, okay, I would never drive a car like that. But I saw it up close. I said, I would drive this thing. You know, on a weekend or something, there's a goof here and there. I would drive this thing. That car is still so, I mean, it, it, people come up to it. That, that is the Batmobile. We can talk about all these other Batmobiles. The Batmobile that, that that's in the um, the current DCEU but or DCUE or whatever. But that one, the sixty six one, is, is the Batmobile. I'm sorry. You look at thing up close, that's a that's a badass ride. Anyway, um you know, one last thing too that I thought was cool about the CW crossover is uh, Cisco. I like when Cisco has his, his quips that break the fourth wall. When he talked about Stranger Things. He just threw out a thing about Stranger Things. And I like the way that he and, and Felicity geek out because that's so much about their characters. They're on that wave rider, and they're geeking out about all this stuff. and, and, and just That stuff I like. It, you know, hit and miss. Hit and miss. That's the CW. That agenda is going to, I think, supersede actual like, plausible things. Every once in a while, they're just going to say, we're having a good, good time. Screw if it makes sense. Screw character development and all that. Anyway, I was on the Mary Sue website, and I was going to talk about this briefly, um, and they had an article that was very disturbing to me, and this is something that's always reoccurring. The article is entitled, School District Bans Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and Why Banning Books is the Last Thing We Need in Trump's America. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's going to be a preeminent thing in Trump's America as far as, as certain works of art this is something that I, I, I was hinting at when we when we spoke about where do we see where, where do we see uh, our own agenda here at AfroNerd with wanting all of our our respective protected classes to have their day you know whether whether it's women whether it's uh, people of color um, whether it's gay folks what have you you know we want to see their interpretations in art but. With Huckleberry Finn, and also they mentioned another classic, um, To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, they have some risque racist language. They would it, it was it speaks of a time, especially Huckleberry Finn was was during slavery. It speaks of a time where these things that was the reality. So you, so now we're going to go back in time and and edit this stuff or or. or erase it, and these children are going to have a, a certain level of cluelessness about what the world was like and, and what, it, so, what it is now. I mean, the reason why we are, some of us, these divisions that Claire spoke about, the reasons, the reasons why um, we are where we are now in this day and time is because of Huckleberry Finn. And now, this particular school district, what is the school district? Um... I always want to give our our, uh, listeners full edification. It's in Virginia, actually. Uh, I don't see it right now, but I'll find it in a moment. But, I mean, one parent comes out and says that they have a problem with the N-word being used so, you know, uh, in a ubiquitous ubiquitous way for the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and also the Killer killer Mockingbird. But, hey, the Killer Mockingbird was set in, in the segregationist Jim Crow South. So now we're going to pretend that these things didn't happen? A Comic County, a, a Comac County public schools in, in Virginia, they're the ones that, that are uh, tempor- temporarily banning these classic novels. Darryl, what what are your thoughts about this? Because, you know, we, we talk about art, we discuss it every week, and if something goes down that someone doesn't like that might be true to the time period, I mean that's that's like, hey, you know, going back in in a Wave Rider, which they did, where they had the, they had kind of a send up of of Nat Turner. I mean, at some point when you go back in time, even in even in art, you have to deal with the reality of what was that time period. Now you have folks that want to want to ban this kind of stuff. So what what are your thoughts about this particular issue and how it's always reoccurring?
0: I'll say it like this: It's all connected, and people look at me. What, like the Marvel thing? Like, uh, no, I'm saying it's all connected. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna bring in uh, something that uh, that's desperate to this, but you, you'll you'll see why I'm making the stance. When when Cap and Nick had this thing about the anthem, and people were like, oh. You can't do that for the anthem. It's disrespecting the flag. It's disrespecting the, the troops. And the what was the thing I said? Follow it all the way. Or you go like, oh, have you heard all of the anthem? You heard the first stanzas. Have you read the third stanza? Have you read the fourth stanza? And you don't understand where a person of color, specifically a person, might have a problem with the anthem given the climate we have today? Go like, if you're going to teach history, you teach all of it. You don't censor it. Huck Finn, I never liked Huck Finn. I'll go 100 with Huck Finn. But you know what? Huck Finn, you need Huck Finn. Why? Because it's part of the history. Okay, you can't just edit it. To Kill a Mockingbird, I had fun reading To Kill a Mockingbird. Why? Because it played one of my scenarios perfectly. I all often said, if I'm going to go to jail, if I'm going to get elected, I'm going to do something like that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to be so mad that that kind of situation happens, or that type of situation is going to be suspected of me. All right? But you can't just erase it. It's here. Okay? Listen... This this is a group now, all of these people are groups now, who think, hey, if I erase a tweet, if I erase an email, that erases history. So I did nothing wrong. Wrong. It survived somewhere. It will always survive somewhere. That's why these people, when they, when they make the claims about Michelle Obama, they're like, ha, it's a little joke. Ha, everybody's going to laugh. Well, guess what? You may send it to these five friends, but those five friends send it to another five friends. And those five friends, after the previous five friends sent it to them, they send it to another five friends. All of a sudden, thousands of people have seen it. You're going to quiet thousands of people? Well, guess what? Huck Finn has been read by millions upon millions of kids. But wait, I say millions. I Probably billions by this point, because I, I got to count international colleges and some international students you know they've read this book. You are not going to be able to hide that. you think you could. I know to kill a Mockingbird is still on the 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 curriculum of several law schools, not regular schools that Case is on law school thing, even though it's fiction. Why? Because it's part of the thing that shows you how the processes of the courts work. Given all the melodrama and everything, it's something to show the how a you could be biased in in a, a, a courtroom setting, and how oh you could swing a jury, or oh you could swing an atmosphere. So it is uh, uh it is something that even though it's fiction. It's required reading to, just for, okay, you are not supposed to do this and be reputable. Okay, so, hey, school district, go ahead, ban it all you want. But here's the problem. You banning it raises the profile of the story much more than if you just said in your classroom, like, forgive the mandate to the teachers. Okay, we're about to read this book. And there's very questionable parts to this book at times. If you have a problem, you could talk to me afterwards, or you could just ask your question as we're reading the book. Keep in mind, this is representative of the times in which he wrote this book. That's all. Give, give like, the parent, parental advisory warning before you do it. You know, hey, uh, what is it? Um, when schools first start talking to... Teaching about sex education and and um, and um, abortion, they gave like re- heavily religious students the option of okay, we're about to begin this class. Anybody that that uh, doesn't want to learn about it or anybody where this is going up against their religion, you could go uh, follow this aide to the, the 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 library and and you'll you'll. Do the remainder of this class in study hall. They gave that option. They sent parental flips home saying, We're about to do this. But you can't just unilaterally ban it. That's the whole point. Sorry to ramble on on that, but I felt the, the points were connected. Back to you, Afranard.
1: Yeah, you know, before I pass the mic to Claire, um, I just want to say a few things. Um, you know, the thing that, that really disturbs me the most about this stuff is that you're really selling the children short. That I remember reading these things when I was a kid, and I, I think that look, reading these books were, were far less harmful, way less harmful, because there was a kind of understanding about what you were reading and why you were reading and, and it, and it was in context for the time period. All that was, was understood, or if, if you have a a teacher with a certain skill set, they're going to... Set the tone for this stuff, anyway. And plus, the oracle, you know, for those who have been longtime listeners of the show, the oracle, my father, uh, he had me prepped for the, for this stuff way before uh, it might have been a part of the school curriculum. This was always discussed in the house, anyway. Um, I'm I'm more concerned about the the pop culture stuff that has the n word with it, it, not in context. That's used for uh, entertainment purposes, and what that has done, versus a *Huckleberry Finn* or *To Kill a Mockingbird*, where the word is bandied about quite proliferously. Um, and when that's done, you know this is because this is abject racism. This is a you know 1930s. If it's um, *If it's To Kill a Mockingbird*, or it's the you know, antebellum of uh, antebellum South. Then that makes sense. I mean, it it just makes sense. I mean, folks got mad with Tarantino for Django, but it was like 1853, I think the setting was. I mean, what people weren't calling black people African Americans back then. They're barely doing it now in 2017. Black people and white people, incidentally. So, so uh, you know, I, I I'm just I just don't get why these folks are so so into trying to protect. The children from from the truth, and you can you, you can pretty much tell a young person anything as long as you give them full explanation and full information. It's the it's the misinformation, or um. Well, yes, it's 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 the, it's the misinformation that is what is harmful. That's that's it, Claire. Claire, what are your thoughts about this banning thing? I mean, this is kind of a constant thing, and I, and I wanted to talk about it because one. Mary Sue has an article on this, and I always follow what they do. And two, you know, we are in the age of Trump, and we talk about art incessantly on our show, and this is, this is going to be an issue more and more. So what are your thoughts about this, this constant need for parent, one or two – it's usually not a cadre of parents. It's usually one parent that has an issue with this particular classic, or classics, I should say. Your thoughts?
3: Well, it just takes one bad apple to spoil the bunch. But while I am curious about, you know, because, you know, we discussed this. So the, we're, we're people who like to delve into nuance. We're, we're not interested in, in just the headline because, as we know, the media skews everything anyway. But here's the thing, regardless of whether I, or not – I'm curious about the details of this or if the, the this parent who was so offended by this material is white or black or whatever. While I may be somewhat curious, ultimately it's irrelevant to my greater concern. And that is when I was a kid and even now, some of the stories that really stayed with me really stayed with me over the years are the one, which is why we you know we're we're nerds to begin with because we love science fiction we love dystopic you know stories that that make us think about the future um but i'm talking about nineteen eighty four i'm talking about animal farm i'm talking about brave new world i'm talking about some of the short stories by by Kurt Vonnegut and Ray Bradbury. I'm talking about Fahrenheit 451. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. Censorship. It is a dangerous road to go down because ultimately it's about control. It's about control and the distribution of misinformation. So I, I look back on those stories knowing full well how, how nerve-wracking it is to 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 know that this is this is happening. It's been happening, but now it's going to be probably even more normal now that we're in the age of of a of a Trump president elect. I mean, this this is disconcerting. This is disconcerting. Regardless of however I feel about the N word being, you know, used very <sighs> openly and but, as we mentioned, honestly, in depicting the time in this particular you know piece of fiction, this particular um, story or work of art, however you want to describe it, the point is is that you you i mean you honestly you nailed a lot of it. it's like how can you be upset about that and not not be cognizant of the fact that there are so many ways in which pop culture something that you really can't filter cuz it's just everywhere you go that uses this kind of language and uses terminology without any sort of you know historical you know inference or 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 I just I I I don't know I'm trying to find the words it's hard to, you know, to, to to really describe what I'm feeling right now because I'm I'm not surprised, obviously, but at the same time it's just really it's disturbing. It's it's disturbing. I mean, there are a lot of these stories that I I, I look back upon in which the whole point of it is to to warn us to warn us of the dangers of of trying to control information. I mean, to trying to rewrite history, you know, in a way that you see more favorable. I, I don't know. I, like I said, part of me is curious about what specifically the, the complaint is or why specifically this is problematic compared to so much of the other uses of the word that's been, you know, tossed about. In, in literature and in pop culture, past, present, whatnot. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm, I'm just, It's anytime you hear about, about censorship, it should, it should give you pause. It should give anyone pause because when you start going down that path, I mean, where does it end? You know, where do you draw the line to say, no, you cannot just erase this you cannot just pretend this didn't happen. You know? So I don't know. I don't know. I don't I just don't even know what to what to think or what to feel. Honestly, I've been kind of feeling like that in in a in a fugue, in a in a haze just since the election. I mean, since the night of the election, I'm just not really sure what to feel about anything. You know, I'm just trying to live my life and, you know, Regardless of whether or not the NSA is tapping all of our our calls and our in our communications or whatever, I mean the the world is a, is a scary place. Regardless of if, if you want to call it post 9/11, you know, post Edward Snowden, post Donald Trump, it's a scary place. So I don't know what this means for us.
1: Um. To our listeners, again, this is The Grind House. Always feel free to call in. I see you have some callers. Remember, if you'd like to join in our, in our discourse, just press the number one. Many folks like to listen in, listen in their cars, and that's fine. But if you like to join in, you have that, that option. Just press number one. It's like raising your hand. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Um, I have to concur with, with Claire. You know, my whole thing is it seems like many of, of much of what's happening now has a lot to do with misinformation and, and having a lack of information in an information-based society. I mean, you have smartphones. They're called smartphones. And yet people are dumber than ever, And which seems to be somewhat of some kind of weird oxymoron where someone has access to unlimited data at the hands of your fingertips so quickly. And yet we seem not to know anything. And they're trying very hard. To To control the narrative And I think that these books The books that Claire referenced Of course, you know, Fahrenheit 451 Ray Bradbury, I mean these are the, these are the state These were books That I had such fondness for because They did, first of all They, they, they allowed for um, a- Analytical Thinking, they allowed for For young People to tap into A portion of their brains That would allow for for someone to actually have, um, not only to think creatively, but to also be somewhat discerning, to, 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 to be logical, and to be more expansive in their mindset. Now, you come across these younger folks, and they seem to have a kind of a truncated view. They, can't, they don't do nuance. That's probably one of the reasons why I get along with, with, with Claire, and she's part of our crew, because I'm able to explain things. Even if you, you don't agree with me at least you will allow for me to to, to, to make my point and you can say okay I see your point but you have folks that are so that are raised now and they're being raised in these kind of environments where they you're only allowed to hear one side of the story and you're not allowed to have a more fact-based expansive viewpoint you know I could, you can you could that's what makes makes for a great attorney you know in law school you have to be able you have to be able to or if, even if you're debating you learn this in high school even if you learn if you become a a debater, you have to be able to switch sides at the drop of a hat. Even if you internally don't agree with the position, you're supposed to be able to to spew out that that positioning. Now, with this kind of thing... And
3: make your case. You have to make make your your case, regardless of your personal bias. And that's what bothers me so much about people, is that... People are so quick to formulate an opinion and a judgment based on no information.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that is. I find that
3: extremely disturbing.
1: I was always raised shouting out the oracle again. That uh, the the most important thing, and we do, do this on our show as well, it's just a habit. And I've been doing this since I was a kid, that you have to... You have to quote your sources, and you'll be straight. You could say, well, I, I believe in such and such, or I can, t- I can talk about this formula, I can talk about this, this political thought, and, and, and I can talk about this idea because I read it at two, three, four, five different places. Go to this book. Go to this article. Go to, go to this, this, this uh, discussion on, on PBS. There's three, four, five different sources. You can you pretty much say what you need to say as long as you're able to back it up. Now, they're going to make it very difficult for young people to have any reference points and not to have any sense of history. I mean, these are works of art, but they're also uh, a way of of, of actually kind of having um, bullet points in history, even though they're works of fiction. So I I don't know where these young people are. I mean, (laughs) I don't know how you're going to augment your intelligence if you can't reference books like to kill a mockingbird It's, 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 it's bizarre I'm going to read this thing real quick And then we'll move along this is, a, this is quickly from the Mary Sue Shouting out or a hat tip to the Mary Sue It says uh, as reported by CBS affiliate WTVR in Virginia A Comat County Public schools have p- temporarily banned The classic novels until further review After a parent Filed a request for reconsideration Of learning resources Form about the books At a recent school board meeting the mother said there's so much racial slurs and defensive wording in there that you can't get past that. Right now, we are a nation divided as it is. Another parent, Teresa Wilkins, those whose children attend ACPS, supported the move saying it's in a book and they'll feel that they are able to say that to anybody and, and so I don't feel that should be done. However, not all parents are on board. One of them Donna Natoli said, I think we're sending a message to our children that if you don't talk about something, it doesn't exist. See, that's that's an intelligent parent. Those other two parents, they're they're low, low intelligence people. I I guess, you know, but if we hide this from them, then they won't harm us. Get out of here.
0: Well, at the same time, I I really want to hear, okay, so what are your kids listening to? Have you talked to your kids about their music? Have, have okay, you so to,
3: you're gonna tell me that I'm gonna keep my kids from reading these classic works of literature and history, but it's okay for them to listen to Lil Wayne and Drake and Wiz Khalifa, and oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's okay.
0: It, yeah, that, you see, that's that's where it it the 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 line gets very uh, very murky. I will be, I will be the guy. I will be the guy to say, you know what, yo, that's very disrespectful, you know, I I can't. But I'll also say I like the beat, the beat's cool, it's just the lyrics suck, you know. (laughs) The lyrics hate for me, I love the beat. If I can get just the instrumental, I'll be rocking that. But, you know, the lyrics, I don't know about the lyrics, the lyrics are, are a little rough. You know, but you can't, with this thing, you can't have one without the other. All right? It is an important part of our history. Like it or not, you had to go to school and you read it. That's where you have to support your your kids' free, uh, intelligence. You know, uh, trust that you have taught your child well enough that... You know, mom, dad, we we did this book Huck Finn, and he's got a he's he's got he's got a, a guy in it that that he's with, and they call him Blank Jim. And I don't know how I feel about this, and that's where you have the frank talk with your kid. Listen, you know how we are in this household, all right? We don't use words like that, but you're growing up, you're going to be facing it, all right? And there are people that are going to be using it on the bash. The thing is, you have to rise above. You can't sink into it, but you can't lose your cool either. Right? Only in the, we haven't taught you to do that. You know, that's where you have that talk with them. <laughs> be straight up. Absolute. Be a yes, parent. Be a
3: parent. <laughs> be a parent. Teach your child. See, this is another example of people trying to pass the buck of responsibility. Like, oh, oh, I don't want to have to have this conversation. I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to have to explain this to my child. No, I I just want you to take this out of the curriculum altogether because it's clearly, you know, the book's fault that our nation is so divided. Yeah, yeah, right. It's the book's fault. It's stories well, you know, like the these thing. are the reason why the KKK... Well, you know, the- K-
1: yeah, it was books. KKK,
0: they got the Burning Crosses idea from a
1: book. Well, you know, the funny, the funny thing is, as, I, as I'm listening to you, to, you, to you two talk, is that I think some of my issues with the sloppiness of pop culture is because no one knows the history. If you knew the history, then maybe we wouldn't be where we are right now. And these folks are actually trying to erase the history. We know that in Texas, that they have their own curriculum where they're actually trying to... Mollify and uh, you know, kind of superimpose their own version of history. They're actually literally trying to call you know the renaming instead of calling instead of calling um, the, the the African slaves slaves and you know like black slaves or slaves from Africa. They're trying to use terms like uh, you know workers from Africa. I'm, I'm being, I mean literally. This this, you know you have people that are actually trying to construct their own. Their own viewpoint, their own bubble, that that has nothing to do with with being, you know, it's it's a a historical, and that's where we're going right now. That we, instead of calling, uh, especially especially for folks who are descendants descendants of slaves, you want that to be known. That's exactly what we were. You don't want someone to say we're just we were we were workers, laborers from Africa. I mean, you know, are you are you insane? I mean, you see, this is where we are right now. And I was thinking about Lil Wayne. You know, I, I have grave issues with some of these artists, uh, especially, you know, black black artists that are just spouting these words off without context when Lil Wayne made a reference to Emmett Till in a song talking about how he would have sex with a woman and, and, and that he would disfigure her lower region. To look akin to what, what Emmett Till looked like in 1955, it's abhorrent. And mm. you know, if a kid were to have read, or if, if Little Wayne had had read maybe Huckleberry Finn or something twenty twenty some odd years ago, maybe he would have had the foresight not to be able to, to do something like that. But if you mm. if you're in a world where you are creating these these false histories and you're promoting an historical mindset, then this is what happens. Everything becomes a free for all, and there's a lot of misinformation going on. And it's, it's not about something, you know, the usage of the N word in these, these works of art. It's more about that's the time, those are the facts, and if you know the facts, then you should know how to push forward.
0: And, and build, a st- build your to, listen around it. Use, use it that, as but, a teaching item.
1: But you have these people. These 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 parents, I guess they're trying to. They, they believe they're doing the right thing, but what they're doing is extremely harmful, because they're saying that we're, we're divided right now. Well, how do you explain to your child the origins of this of, of this animus if you don't go into works of, of Harry Beecher Stowe and so forth, Uncle Tom's Cabin, and he, and that's a, and one quick thing and then we'll move along. Even when folks, even black folks, when they use the term Uncle Tom or your Uncle Tom, even that the usage of the term is a misnomer because Uncle Tom in Uncle Tom's Cabin wasn't an Uncle Tom. The character <laughs> sacrificed himself for his, other, for, his, for his fellow slaves. So when we use the term Uncle Tom, and Uncle Tom, you, know, you would probably want to be an Uncle Tom if you are going to sacrifice yourself for your people. But we've used the word incorrectly and we keep on doing it because many, many folks probably did not read Uncle, Uncle Tom's Cabin and the importance of that work in the lineage of actually dismantling Jim Crow and segregation many years later. It was, it was, it was a, a shout-out to the abolitionist movement. That's another thing. That's what makes it—see, I keep on going on in this. These works of art play a, a similar role in beyond just being a book that you read. That particular book, Harry Beecher Stowe's, um, Beecher Stowe's work of art, that— Book was basically the Bible for the abolitionist movement. So these books are not just books. And these people want to ban this kind of stuff. They're a bunch of a-holes. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) I'll edit myself.
0: Hey, hey, just look at it this way, okay? This is why shows like this one exist. This is why we have the debates that we do on Twitter. This is why stars like George Takei and Lin-Manuel Miranda and stuff they're doing, you know, is so important. Because they want to get rid of regular education as we know it. But true, some of these guys works. Uh, on stage and screen and stuff like that. I hope it's encouraging. Well, it won't encourage every kid because a lot of kids don't want to learn. But true stuff like um, the 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 Takei uh, en- encampment play and Lin uh, Miranda's um, Hamilton stuff. Hopefully, that that lights a flame under some kids that see it, that listen to the soundtrack, that, you know, that, that, okay, let me learn a bit more and they'll turn on some of their friends to it. And they'll turn on the, uh, the uh, to, to have that opposite daisy chain effect than what I just referenced to begin with of ignorance getting spread. Hopefully it spreads intelligence too.
1: Let's move things along a little bit and, and, and then moving things forward. <laughs> It's all connected, as you say, Daryl. Um, shout out to Evan Narciss or Narcisse over at Io9, Io9 website. Um, he's always doing uh, these pieces that, um, again, revealing a certain level of history. And you know, y- you gotta have you gotta have nerds of color in effect to kind of show a different slice of life. Um, that's all about information. So he has a piece at io9 where he highlights this upcoming documentary on a little known hero who's very much alive and i'm going to try to reach out to the gentleman um floyd norman and it's about floyd Floyd norman being the first black animator at disney now you know that's that's pretty heavy duty stuff and um his, his story is pretty fascinating because a you know he was hired at a time you know, this guy's been working around working for over 60 years. So he's, seen, he's literally seen it all, and he's done it all. I mean, you know, he worked, he worked on stuff ranging from The Smurfs to Sleep, uh, Sleeping Beauty to The Jungle Book to Mul- Mulan and so forth. So this guy's a beast, and my, my, my favorite, Johnny Quest, he worked on those things. Man, heck, this guy even did the animation for the intro to Soul Train. So th- this is a guy that we should be knowing about. And again, someone could easily be very dismissive of these little historical nuggets because you know we 're too busy trying to censor people we want to we want to keep things in a certain way um, hell i think about I think about Claire a lot because you know when we talk about this what's happening with Asian folk and by extension other folks of color but I think about um about Claire specifically because you know when i when I spoke about this. I can go back and do this again. I don't want want these people to think I hate them, because I don't. So I I do look at them. Collider, the Collider um, crew over on YouTube. And they were just going on and on about this ghost in the show. And they were just, you know, like, everything's just, um, well, you know, we can understand the whitewashing thing, but, you know, uh, they have a, I'm just paraphrasing, but they have these, these, um, they have these cultural references and they have a few Asian folks in the background and you know, they, they they were making all these, all, all, all of these excuses. And this, and I said, you know, this is what the deal is. Even when they, even when people try to be kind or respectful, they don't know your history and they don't care about your history. And, And if, if, if it's up to them, they can be very casual and exercising out of history. This gentleman Floyd N- Norman being a, the first black animator at Disney is a historical feat and people should know about that and if, you had, if they had their way people would just look at that as just a one-off they wouldn't, they, it, it doesn't mean anything but everyone deserves their story for the complete story this, it, 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 we should be in a time where we're very, we're very comfortable, some of us, not we on our show, pardon me not us, but there, there are a faction of people that appear to be very comfortable in maintaining a, a truncated, one-sided view of history without having everybody giving you the full story. Uh, we know about the story of Disney, but I, I, with this man's talent, it's really not a complete story, is it? Without just getting into this documentary, and I'm going to definitely check it out. And again, it's called Floyd Norman, and Animated Life. He's going to have a perspective, being the, the first black dude at Disney, that no one else is going to have. And I think we need, we, I want to know what he has to say. But there are folks that say, oh, well, you know, Disney, you know, they, they can keep it very surface level and be comfortable with that. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. So I would definitely, I'm going to put this, uh, this link into our chat room to the piece at Io9, but um, he, the man is in his 80s. He still very much uh, has his faculties. I think he's probably still working. He, there's even a point in the story that I'm pretty sure he has his points, you know, with with racism. But I'm, I'm but he's also also had to deal with ageism. That at 65, when well, this man was still at the height of his powers. There was a forced retirement thing with him, so. You know, you shouldn't have to retire someone when they're viable, still doing what they're doing, b- because of a simple age thing. So, so there's actually – the, the, the documentary actually is, is more than just the fact that he was the, the, the lone black person additionally. And then, of course, there were other black, other black folks that started – that came in after him. That's also a running joke in the documentary that at some point more black folks came in, and uh, he joked that I, – I, I, at least I didn't have to talk to myself. So, Darren, um, what are your thoughts about Floyd Norman? And w- were you aware uh, of his work and uh, of his documentary?
0: Yes, so I saw it a month ago. So, uh,
1: it, it, um,
0: I'll say it like this: true, true guys like Lashawn Thomas, you know, I, I've and, and the boondock, late
1: Boondocks fame, right?
0: Yeah, and the late the McDuffie. I found out about this. You know, I found out that we've had people working in in these that we never knew about. And that's one of the great things. If you're not known for color, if you're known for your work, that's fine. But the hurdles he had to go through, <laughs> we don't know if you could understand the nuance of this character to write it. And then you go and release Princess and the Frog. I'll just say it like that, okay? Some of this stuff he heard from guys, and at the same time, they released stuff like the Dumbo Crows. I will just say it like that, okay? You you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy there, all right? It's, It's Disney. It's all right. It's children's fair. It's a simpler time. Every time you hear the line, it's a simpler time. People of color know what they're referencing to. I will just hold it like that. Hey, Cap may not be here, but that was my Cap statement of the day. But to Floyd, thank you for your contribution, sir. I know. Like I said, I see what you started true, what McDuffie did and Stuff We Like, true what LaShawn Thomas is doing. your, Your legacy lives on, sir. Thank you. You afterno-
1: yeah, uh shout out to John Hutton. I see that he's uh in our chat room, Stalwart supporter, and he says he he has a little little reference to Song of the South. And Song of the South is something that I definitely would love to get on DVD, but it's unavailable on DVD. It's, it's speak about talk about Banning. Song of the South, Disney film. Um why can't why can't I remember the actor? Um is it Avery, I think his name is Avery. is it James James Avery? Anyway, that actor received an Academy Award, I believe, in 1947, 1948. And, uh, you know, that, that, listen, that's a perfect reason why you can't ban things. Because Song of the South, uh, and I know that, shout out to our friend Sergio Mims. Sergio Mims, our resident cineast. Uh, we've spoken offline quite a bit, and Song of, Song of the South comes up quite a bit. There's even a website called songofthesouth.net. Where they're campaigning? Ja- uh, yeah, thank you, Avery. James Basket, thank you, James Basket. He won a special award, um, Academy Award, and again, you remember this is after Hattie McDa- McDaniel in 1940 when she won an award. Uh, but he won a special award because it was it was an animated effort. It was one of the first animations of you know between humans and 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 animated creatures, but the interesting thing about Song of the South is that it certainly gave a a very mollified version of slavery. It made it seem as if these slaves were just happy to be there. There was no kind of misery. It it, it was, it it was very, um, it's very painful to watch, but I I think you need to see that so folks can put it in the context as to why we are where we are today. And they banned Song of the South because of these, this 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 racial animus you know a fearfulness what claire talks about what we all talk about with well, we don't want to be disrespectful to to to, to, to Tibetans to Tibet so so we just obfuscate we just ignore we don't, really, we, don't really, we don't want to be disrespectful to black people or or raise any eyebrows by having this piece of piece of art that Put slavery in a, in in a negative context, but you have to show these movies so people understand this is what people were about in 1947 or 1946. But we choose to just not show it, and I'm I'm obsessed with Song of the South. I will I will confess, you know Uncle Remus, that whole thing. It, it you have to watch it to put it in the context and to and to be educated about it. But now, so it never know, happens no one knows again. About it. <laughs> You know? Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we see, you, you see that as a reference point. Thanks. You see that as a reference point so you won't repeat it. And that's probably why things are being repeated. Shout out to Breakfast at Tiffany's. I mean, they're repeating this stuff. It's obvious, isn't it? You start to see yeah. the connection. Quickly, Darryl, we got about 17 minutes remaining. What, what, um, what, First of all, where did you see it and what did you think about it? This animated life of uh, Floyd. Oh, Norman. I
0: saw it on Netflix one time. When it, it was one of the first things I saw when I got my Netflix account. When I bowed down to get it, I I saw that in animator's life. Oh, the first reaction I had, oh, Disney has black animators? All right, wait, let me let me go check this out cuz I was always under the impression with Disney that they had nobody of color in the room when they do some of these things. And and for folks to, to go
1: to this day <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well for for and then folks will go, Oh D, that's a little racist of you. I'm like, well it was a little racist of them <laughs> You know? We we could we could we could say, oh well, they did stuff like Milan. And I'm like, that is great. You did stuff like Mulan, but then you got Moana in, in theaters now and ask anybody from the South Pacific or South Pacific Heritage how much they cut and pasted their myths for that. It's great animation-wise. Beautiful look. It is awesome. But then when you to dissect the plot and some of the script and some of that, you could see why a native islander would have a problem with it. You know, it, it, it's, this is why Floyd Norman's story is important, because you can see, oh, they took a step here forward, but then you could see how people in inside and outside tried to chop his legs off as he tried to take the step forward. This was a hardworking man. This still is a hardworking man who only just wanted to create art, all right? And sometimes you just want to do what you do best, and you be uh, become the symbol of, of politics, good and bad, socially or, well, politically, you know? And that's, if, if there's anything to take out of this, Outside of being inspired to follow your creative freedom, it's that. Sometimes you don't get to write your own story or uh, influence people's perceptions of you. Sometimes it is already written for you, and you just have to cope with it. It's, it's a bad factor of life, but see, some, some people really got to wake up to that fact.
1: Back to you, Alfred Nerd. Well, you know, first I'm glad that you mentioned that it was on Netflix because uh there's even another new series on Netflix called 3%. Oh yes. And so it's some kind of and I'm I'm getting into it. I just i just got it in, got into it earlier today actually, 3% and it has subtitles. I believe what what is the, the language? Is it Spanish or is it Portuguese? I think it's por- it's Darryl- a
0: Brazilian Spanish operation. It's for okay, folks it's Portuguese. out there. Yeah, for folks out there. Imagine Gattaca meets Hunger Games. It's essentially what 3% is. And you throw it through the lens of Black Mirror. I think that's about the, an accurate description that's, of that's it really without
1: giving anything away. So, uh, so I'm, go- I'm going to have – well, this is why Netflix is on the takeover route. They're, they're giving, giving you a lot. So um, I got to check out this, Fr- this Frank – pardon Floyd Norman documentary as well as I would implore our listenership to check out 3%, which is relatively new. And I guess it's, it, it's a series, right? It's not even like a one-off. It, the way I, I, I looked, into, looked into this thing, it's, it's an ongoing series. Is that correct, Daryl? Yep, yep, it is.
0: It's, I've seen, what, four episodes, five episodes of it so far, and I think it's ten I'm not sure. I, I have, I've I been doing this episode by episode, but yeah, it's like, uh, but I stand by that. It's Gattaca meets Hunger Games through the lens of Black Mirror. And if that sounds warped and crazy to you, just wait till you meet some of the characters here. <laughs> Everything isn't what they, it seems. Let's put it that way.
1: Oh, you know, one other thing. Um, this is also to Claire. Um, you know, we've had our issues with with Doctor Strange, and I, I might have mentioned. I think I might have mentioned this to Daryl or even Cap. Uh, I didn't mention this to, to Claire. You know, uh, the 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 irony in that movie is that because of Marvel's genius, I guess that we're forced to look at the look at the um, the rolling credits while we wait for the credit after credit scenes, the big credit and after credit scenes. I saw a whole bunch of Asian surnames. Involved in the in the process of Doctor Strange, and I think what's going to have to happen is yes, we want to see these folks in front of the camera, obviously, in all facets of the screen, but it's still it's still not going to happen without these folks of Asian descent who are animators and engineers. And I said, okay, I said, okay, wait a minute, because I'm now I'm forced to look at who actually worked in this movie. Okay, wait a minute, there's quite a few Asian folks in the mix. And I dare say all that heavy, heavy lifting as far as the CGI would not go down without Asian folk in full effect. So I, I guess it, it, it's, it's a quagmire because we want to see the, the, the representation. We want to see the representation. But I saw the representation because I'm crazy like that, and I, and I read. And I was like, wait a minute. It's a little bit more complex, and we need to, we, these folks need to be honored, and we need to start – Calling them out and, and speaking to them It's like this, this Floyd Norman guy You know we Normally we wouldn't I think it's because of the OCD in some of us That we want to know Who who makes this stuff Floyd Norman could, could, could normally could, could easily be Just a person behind the scenes that no one really cares about Until you actually Find out wait a minute this guy Is actually doing the heavy lifting To make this stuff possible so I don't know if that gives you any any uh, solace, Claire, but you know, I mean, just keep I that in the back I of your mind. Any that. Solace.
3: But I just, I hmm? it's funny because you mentioned an animator. There's um. There was a a post I put up on my Twitter a little while back about a guy named Pyrus Wong. And hmm. he is, a hundred and five years old. Wow. And yeah, and he is the one who basically created the art of Bambi. And so he, um, you know, obviously it was just by sheer good fortune and just luck that he was able to get into this country because of the Chinese Exclusion Act that was uh, created in 1882 and, um, or something like that. And he and his father, they forged their documents, They lied and they said that they were related to Chinese-American citizens and that's how they were able to get here. And so, you know, he studied art and he caught the attention of Walt Disney. And it's just one of those things where I only am just now hearing about this man, you know, because he is a prolific artist. He wasn't just at Disney. He ended up working for several different houses and production companies. But the thing is, is that what if he... What if he didn't make it through the border? What if he didn't make it through that checkpoint? You know we would not have been able to experience so much of his art you know so much of what he had to share and it i'm I'm definitely curious about checking out his documentary that came out just a couple weeks ago at an Asian um, world you know film festival a few weeks ago and I just I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. We need to hear these stories. We need to know what's going on with these stories. And, yes, I'm highly aware of how many Asians work in in production, of how many Asians are behind the scenes, how many Asians are uh, CGI and VFX artists. I mean, when you read the hundreds of names that scroll through these these heavy – you know, action films, you know, which heavily rely on these visual effects. Yeah, I'm not blind to it. There's a lot of Asian names up in there. And the thing is, is that I was watching the other day Star Trek Beyond, and I was again. I'm the same way. I'm exactly the same way. I watch the either either the opening or closing credits of the main the main crew, the main, the main cast, and then I'll read through the, uh, the end scroll. And the thing is, is that I'm definitely noticing, I definitely noticed that with Star Trek Beyond, which was directed by Justin Lin, I noticed that it's not just the, the VFX houses and the post-production folks that have a lot of you know Asian names here and there. No, when you read the main credits, a lot of key individuals, key folks, key producers, key consultants, you know, are Asian. And that's that's no coincidence. That's no coincidence. Every now and then you're going to come across a situation like M. Night Shyamalan, who basically to me clearly hates Asians. Like he just, he hates us because everything he does to me is a clear Sign of you know betrayal or like a lack of unity, a lack of of appreciation for what we have. Yes, self-hating. It's so obvious to me. It's so obvious to me. I mean, if you if you guys even want to delve into that, which I don't, but I mean, just look at at what happened with uh, the last Airbender. I mean, that was. Oh yeah,
1: trust me awful. Oh, man. We spoke... I mean, mean, come on. The only
3: person of color is the freaking villain. You know? And shout out to Dev Patel, because I do think he's a a lovely actor. Lovely actor. Even Dev came
0: out and said that he was um, not happy about this.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Because it hurts. It hurts that that the director doesn't even want to see you shine. The director who is of color, doesn't seem to have anyone, uh, uh, any, any intent on allowing others, you know, uh, his own people, to be the hero, to be the lead, to be the storyteller, where it's obviously a predominantly Asian story, and then they cast a bunch of white kids. So again, nothing changes. It doesn't matter if it's Breakfast at Tiffany's or Ghost in the Shell. Nothing has changed.
1: Nothing. Well, one, one quick thing.: so I'm just, One quick thing, because, because of time constraints, one quick thing because I, I since we're on this theme, you know this, goes, this, this proves your point, Claire, uh, all of our points actually, because we talk about the same thing. Uh, this, this Mad Sheila trailer, which is a send-up, a Chinese send-up of the Mad Max franchise. Uh, there, was an, a, there was a shorter trailer and then there was an extended trailer. It, it's meant to be somewhat goofy, tongue-in-cheek. But it's certainly, you know, Mad Sheila. Obviously, it's a rip of Mad Max. The irony is, it has it's a Chinese film, so so uh, by extension, it's a Chinese cast, and it is a viral sensation online, which means, which which is another example of this whole belief that you must have whites involved to do to tell your story, as if it will not work. It's it's a falsehood. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the reason for the origins of the popularity of, of the Avatar series were based on these, these Asian and Inuit characters. So, so all of a sudden, it's popular as it is in an animated form, but to translate it for the big screen, we have to eschew, uh, eschew all that stuff. That, that is what makes, it, makes me insane. So here we go with Mad Sheila definitely I would advise our our audience to go to YouTube and just put in Mad Sheila. It's pretty funny. It looks it looks pretty cool actually. Definitely a send up of Mad Max. But it is, it is it has gone viral. Now why would it go viral? Because we're seeing Asian folk, people of color in a in a different environment. It's a dystopic future. Who's not gonna dig that? Who's not gonna wanna see that? So the belief that these things can't work or no one's going to see them or it's not popular. This this stuff is always uh what was it? how what wasn't um Luke Cage one of the most popular Netflix series Was an all black cast or mostly black cast. So these things are always being debunked and yet Hollywood still goes goes forward with this this stupid train, the snow piercer.
3: Not quite <laughs> be not quite the there. the most popular not quite the most popular Netflix series, but no, one of supposedly, but supposedly in the statistics, it surpassed Daredevil season two.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's people. It's not like uh, a, an all minority themed work doesn't work.
3: It, it just doesn't. I mean, right? But they ignore it. They ignore it and they call it a fluke. They they write it off as some a lot bizarre of, phenomenon. There's a lot of,
1: there's a lot of flukes. Uh, I guess uh, which which Fred fran- which number are we on in the Fast and Furious franchise? Eight or nine? Is that a fl- so, when does it stop? Yeah, from the eight. Flute? Eight. Okay. All right. When this Rogue One comes out, uh, pre-ticket sales are already. You can't even buy them right now. We'll see how that works. Also, see this. This stuff is a joke. It really is. See uh, here. Here
0: it is, and this is why we push other stuff. Quality doesn't mean white, but, but uh, diversity doesn't mean that, that it's going to be quality either. You, you have to have a mixture of both. You have to have the representation, but the work has to be quality too. We're not going to just push something because it has POC attached to it. We're going to push it because it's quality. All right, just for people out there. Yo, it, it make quality work, people will go see it. But if you make quality work that has diversity or POCs attached to it, it's going to introduce you to a new fan base that you might not have had before.
1: And, you know, we're going in uh, almost a minute before the end of the show, but I think we should go for another 10 minutes uh, because we started off late. So my apologies to, to, to that. And, uh, uh, of course, for the listeners, they may notice that Captain Kirk is not uh, with us. He's dealing with a family emergency. So uh, pr- our prayers and thoughts go out to him. Um, but I, I also want to just mention uh, quickly, you know, we were talking about the other folks of, of, of color. And I mentioned this to Claire before, A uh, historical figure, James Wong Howe, who was a cinematographer, cinema um, And he was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. And he was a he was a sought after cinema photographer, cinema photographer um, during the Hollywood's golden age, and mostly because of what he did with with shadow and and focus, deep focus. But um, you know, again, this is the person behind the scenes. I mean, he definitely was a stellar figure during the silent film period. But I'm fascinated by knowing these people. I just think it's important to just know stuff and to know people and, and these behind the scene players. So I guess what I'm, you know, just to kind of conclude. We got, we have to, we have to um, promote folks that are in front of the camera for image purposes, but we also have to be very passionate about people that are do, actually doing the heavy lifting behind the scenes as well. So that's the only all I, I want to kind of put out there. Um, quickly, because we got about we're already past the, the, the you know we're in the podcast we're not live anymore. But for listeners, obviously, you can still listen to it um, in the podcast form. Riverdale, the Riverdale trailer came out for 2017. Is anyone going to? See, I mean, <sighs> is anyone going to see this, Daryl? I mean, is I, I so am. Far? I'm an Archie
0: really? fan. I, I am going to try to see it, <laughs> but uh, let's just say the trailer doesn't fill me with uh, with that much confidence. I tell people that see the Riverdale thing, go like, hey, look, if, if you want to see a good Archie story that goes against the grain of Archie, pick up the first afterlife. trade after life with Archie, the zombie yeah. one. Pick that up. All right, The, the Riverdale one, this, this may be a little choppy waters for me. And I was a 90210 fan, and it's a little bit of a choppy thing for me. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, this fits in with the CWA of business, doesn't it, Claire? That's what I think it kind of makes me feel a certain way.
3: Well, I'm just not – I haven't even seen any trailers or anything like that. But just – I've just – I've never been an Archie fan. I've never really been into that. I do recognize and I can appreciate – and you, Daryl, you just nailed it. You just nailed it. Just because something's POC – or has POC, you know, people involved, doesn't mean that I'm all about it. That doesn't mean automatically that I'm going to, you know, be the cheerleader and push for it and hope for, you know, it to to succeed. I, I like what I like. I like quality and I like certain stories that engage me. Regardless of whether or not that has people of color, you know, that's just how it is. And, frankly, there's nothing about this that, engages me, even though, even though I can appreciate the fact that it's got people of color involved in, in key roles, but the thing is, is that it's so important to remember, POC, having people of color, having diversity, having ethnically, you know, ethnically diverse backgrounds, in it of itself, in it of itself is not a reason to support something, okay, For me, it is merely something to tip the scale. What do I mean by that? I mean that if a movie is not that good, it's pretty like average or subpar in terms of the writing, the direction, the acting, whatever, then not only do I not like it, but if I also notice that there's no people of color and that it's all white, that pushes it down even further. That's what I mean by tipping the scale. So on the reverse, if I see something that I respect, that I admire in terms of the writing, in terms of the cinematography, in terms of the performances, just crisp, sharp, completely bold, innovative, fantastic work, then if I notice that this piece of work includes people of color, includes diversity, then it pushes it up even further. Not only is it good, but now it's great. That's what I mean by tipping the scale. But in and of itself, having diversity doesn't mean anything to me, you know? So I'm I'm just not interested in Archie, okay? So that's why I don't have any, you know, dog in this race as Cap would say. But what makes me sad about, on the reverse, on the reverse, a situation like Ghost in the Shell or Passengers, to me, that, the story, the themes, the construct of the plot is something I want to see. I would see that. I'm interested in that. But because... They've chosen to cast the way they've cast. I'm a little bit torn. I'm conflicted. I'm a little bit put off. Just as I was, I told you before, I was conflicted when I saw Doctor Strange because while I had fun, while I enjoyed it, while I thought Benedict Cumberbatch killed it, at the same time, while I can appreciate the talented Tilda Swinton, I can appreciate the fact that if I saw this objectively – not knowing anything about it, then, yeah, I would say she did a fine job. She brought her unique, unusual, androgynous, you know, almost alien-like, otherworldly-like quality to this role, and that made it interesting. I could look at it like that. But because I know that the damn character is supposed to be a man, an Asian man, I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted because of what we were talking about, because of the erasure. So I'm just, I i, I don't know. I don't know. I like what I like. I, I want to see what I want to see. But again, it just, it hurts when you feel like, when's it going to be our turn? When are we going to go from just being the props and the set dressing to being the storyteller, to being the narrator, being the hero. When are we gonna go past being the person, the background, the filler that makes the white person look good, you know, makes them look like they're part of the you know the exotic, the orient, whatever. When are we gonna be able to tell the story? When are we gonna be able to tell our own damn story instead of having somebody else tell it for us?
1: One quick thing. So I um
3: I don't know. I don't know. I'm not interested in seeing Riverdale. I have zero interest. But, but on the flip, I am glad that they're moving Legends to Tuesday because they're going to give Riverdale the Thursday night slot. So that means I get to see Flash and Legends in one shot.
1: Yeah, that might be a good thing. And also with the Riverdale thing, I just got to make you know, uh, I'm not the biggest Archie fan. I'm, I've been in and out of Archie. I'm semi aware of Archie, obviously. And uh, I'm a bit conflicted because the company, I will confess, and I think Daryl will attest to this as well, RC Comics has done a, a terrific job of, uh, of kind of addressing issues of, of diversity very quickly as far as in print uh, in a very f- fast way. I mean, they have this Kevin character. They've had uh, other minority characters they've actually boosted up. I mean, that, when you think about what Riverdale represented, in the 1940s, all the way to, I'd say, let's say, the, I guess, till the early aughts, they really represented like this, this fictionalized white environment. It was, it was just, uh, again, it was, uh, let's make America great, great again. It was very much like that kind of deal. And if, if they really wanted to, they could have kept, kept it as business as usual and not really allowed for that, for that storyline to adjust to the modern era, and I think the fact that you know um, Archie has had black, a black girlfriend, uh, I think he was even a, uh, well they asked—he actually, actually was married in a, in a different iteration with the was the Ver- not Veronica uh, the Valerie character Daryl, yes, from from the uh, jo- Josie and the Pussycats. So he was married to a black woman, had a multiracial kid. So you see this, this brown-hued kid with freckles was pretty it's pretty funny actually um but i mean just, just that whole thing i mean the fact that they that they're doing these things for for archie comics is it's they're a little bit a little tighter with kind of addressing these things in more up front than the the superhero you know the the, the 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 bread and butter comic book stories that you and i all of us are more aware of archie's a little bit more proactive i will say that what are your thoughts about that, Daryl? Hey, I look. It, it, I
0: I'm giving it a shot, knowing, knowing, Hopefully, knowing like some of the creative staff and everything behind Archie Comics and what they've tried to do and the pushback they've gotten, that that people got mad and and how they they've succeeded print wise. I got hopes that this will rise above. My misconceptions or my misgivings to go in, knowing that they've beat this before. The new Archie book, I wholeheartedly recommend. If you haven't been picking up the new Archie book, it's the it's a great uh, example of how to update a classic for modern audiences, but still keep the core concept of every character. It's great. Mark Wade is killing that. You know, Chip Zarsky on Jughead? Who would ever think they see Jughead with Sabrina? You know, that great stuff. But that trailer of Riverdale did not inspire any of that in me. I saw the diversity, but I didn't get anything. And it's up to the cast, it's up to the crew, it's up to the writers to you got thirteen episodes. Wow me. Back to you, Efernerd. Uh
1: a few more things we're out of here. <laughs> Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, or Marvel vs. Capcom 4. Um, listen, I, I play video games here and there, especially superhero video games. And, you know, waiting, the expectation for the fourth version of it, that was, this was like, I, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. So, I, so it appears that it is going to happen, but there's talk that the X-Men might not be included in this thing. Do you know anything about this, Daryl?
0: Yeah, again, it's their politics. I'm leaving it alone. You know? <laughs> hey, hey, it, I I said it before. Yo, hey, if there's no X-Men, can I get Ghost Rider? Uh, hey, I'll take Mac Rider. You know, give, give me Mac as Ghost Rider as a, a downloadable contact character. You know, you know, give eh, eh, no X-Men that you better give me some cool inhumans in this. (laughs) Hey, no X-Men. Hey, we got a huge universe of characters that haven't been seen. You could start throwing some of them in a fightable wonder man. You know, Uh, we can't use human torch, but give me Jim Hammond. You know, we can't Oh yeah, we, yeah. Oh. we you know, we can't use Wolverine or Lady Deathstrike. Okay, that's cool. Give me a good Tigra character. You know? Give me Talon from Guardians of the Galaxy. By the way, trailer dropped on two today. If you guys haven't seen it yet, go see that trailer. You know? Hey, as I bring it up, give me some of the Guardians of the Galaxy, it's playable players. Well you know that's what, I, what I'm I
1: saying. Wouldn't... Wait, wait. Did, well, didn't they didn't they have um, Rocket Raccoon in one of the iterations? I haven't played in such a long time.
0: Well, yes, they did as a downloadable ca- a character. Yes,
1: but I'm just saying, make Medusa, him a core part. Well, even Medusa, as 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 a as a, uh, a character with the hair, like Mister Fantastic i like,
0: like I said there are or whatever the embargo is with the Fox and the characters they hold there's enough characters in our universe that people cry I want to see it I want to see it I want to see that Marvel's got thousands of characters
1: but, but is, is it a, is it an embargo though because I mean all the other iterations had they even had X23 I mean they had all the X characters like why now all of a sudden went I mean, all of the characters, X Men were very prolific. I mean, even Storm was one of my favorite characters on there. So I mean, so but if they're not you, doing it now, well hold on. If they're not doing it now, this must is this the reason why they're not really printing like the FF? Is this some kind of power move on the part of Marvel versus the cinematic part of it, or is this or is this just the the kind of kowtow to the movies and have let's have all everybody that's affiliated with the movies, although you know. Having a Black Panther playable character might be pretty cool, actually.
0: Hey, I don't place anything above them. We've seen how petty these guys are. Fans, we want it all, and we want it now, and we want it good. That's what we want. This is, this is how we say it. We want it all. We want it now. We want it good. These guys are all about contracts, and, oh, we have the rights, and, oh, this ain't uh, economically feasible for us. Fans, we're greedy. We look at it one way. These guys are looking at big picture. But my thing is, if you're looking at big picture, wouldn't it be more economically viable for y'all to have come to uh, an agreement already? Because you hear the buzz we have. How long did we have to tug on D.C.'s cape to get a Justice League made? <laughs> and we are praying that it's quality, but you know oh. how long do we have to go around that that um, that 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 rigmarole? That we're now doing it with X Men and Avengers and Infinity War, and now this the, uh, this video game, and we're we're doing the very same thing.
1: And you know something else too, Daryl. You know, uh, as I remember, because I have the last the last version one thing was in my head was that you know we here we go again with minority representation even in the video games because you know it's it's somewhat limited I mean you have you have uh you have Storm what other black characters were in that video game Bishop no nope he wasn't in there but nope. like, you black, was thinking Panther? Like black Panther Nope. later he was like a sideline thing if you like if you unlock one of the I think it was an unlock move where you might see Black Panther or With Storm It was some kind of Like her story It was something When they were married If I remember correctly But The fact that The fact that You you give me Captain Marvel
0: So Can an unlockable character Be Monica Rambeau
1: Or even Blade Blade it would be excellent For something like that I mean There's a lot of black characters I mean not just black characters But I mean I mean You know You start to realize You don't even see The minority representation In a damn video game Not really and it's back <laughs> on that. We're and whatever what well. we do we're, get, they get mad at. Well, yeah, you, you hear now that some some white players take issue with playing minority characters. Like, I've played white characters since the since the beginning of time, and I've never thought once about it. But but when a white character—I I mean, I, not all whites think this way, but I find it amazing that they can't even play a black character. It we, we, oh Whatever. (laughs) One last thing, folks, and we'll wrap wrap this up because we started out late. Uh, Tom Cruise's Mummy. There was like a quick short on this. I think it's going to be uh, maybe today or tomorrow there will be a a more expanded trailer. But from what I saw, I mean, it definitely looks like something worth seeing. It's definitely, you know, it seems to be superior, at least as far as the trailer. Uh, You see Tom Cruise running. I think that's a requirement in everything. Tom Cruise must Tom Cruise must be seen running. Yep. Supercut uh,
0: There's that Supercut uh,
1: on on YouTube. Claire, what did, what were your thoughts about? Did you get a chance to see this mummy thing? This mummy short? Uh
3: yeah, and if my phone cuts out, I'm sorry. I just I didn't realize the battery was dying. Um Yes, I saw it and they're going to do the full trailer on Sunday. Um I just think it's funny. I just think it's funny that now we have commercials for commercials. I mean, we have the trailer, yeah. and then we have the teaser trailer, and the teaser of the teaser. And it's like, oh, my goodness, really? <laughs> I mean, and it literally is just – it's like like 12 seconds. I mean, it's it, there's nothing there. I mean, just a few flashes, a few images. Um, but I got to say, until I see the full-length trailer – you know, to tell me otherwise, I do like what I see. I am curious because on paper, this sounds like a terrible idea. This sounds yeah. terrible. <laughs> I mean, really, you're going to remake The Mummy. But the thing is, is while I have a great fondness for the 1999 Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss version, great fondness for it. I understand that Universal is trying to do their own cinematic universe. They're trying to create their own MCU, a monster's cinematic universe. So that means The Mummy. That means, you know, Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and all that classic, classic characters that have been redone over and over again. Um, In fact, I think um, Dracula... Dracula and Sherlock Holmes; those two characters are probably the most, you know, rebooted, redone uh, characters of all time. Simply because I, I'm pretty sure that they're uh, under like no domain. So, anyway, I I saw it, and I gotta say, I am curious because I really I'm I'm happy to see Sofia Boutella. She's working. She's really getting herself out there. I think that's fantastic. She is a professional dancer. And she was able to use that to become, you know, the sidekick with the blades for legs in Kingsman. She leveraged that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Star
3: Trek Oh, yeah, definitely. And now look at her. I mean, she's the mummy. She's the villain. So I think this is great. I think that they are really trying to turn things around and, and create something more. More, you know, modern and more a little darker, a little more serious. Not quite as campy, not quite as silly, but I'm I'm curious. I'm open to it, and I'm very glad that they made the mummy a woman. I mean, already we're seeing things flip around, so I'm down.
1: Yeah, I think I'm down too. It, you know, usually I'm kind of, uh, kind of willy nilly when it comes to Tom Cruise's stuff. Uh, the fact that we see him running, like he's he's always running. Like I said, but the super cut.
3: What? He's showing off. You have to understand he's showing off because if he wasn't going to be an actor, he has said that he would have been an athlete.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. He's
3: just right, showing listen, off. Uh, That's all. Uh,
1: uh, shout out way, to Billy Dee Williams. Yeah. Shout out to Billy Dee Williams. You, you mentioned this, uh, Claire, that he's going to be uh, reprising his role, sort of, as Harvey Dent in the Lego Batman movie. So... I mean, that's a, that might have been going, and I'm thinking about Tim Burton and, and even his issues with minority characters, that we have a legend like Billy Dee Williams, who, you know, he's an older man now, but in 89 or 88, I, I was actually, that's the first time that they did kind of a racial switch. And I remember at the time, I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense because he had, you know, he was Dark Gable, as, it, as it, that was like a kind of a, a cute name they gave him in the 70s when he was, you know, coming out as this matinee idol. So Billy, Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent, because Harvey Dent was always portrayed as this handsome guy that was disfigured. So uh, he seemed perfect for that role for a Tim Burton movie, and he didn't really do anything. It is, I mean, how can somebody with that name recognition and not do anything? That's probably one of the, 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 probably the, one of the few pet peeves I have with a Tim Burton Batman, is they never really used Billy Williams as Harvey Dent, you know, to to the full fruition. But anyway, you know, now he's eighty something. Uh, I he still got the voice, baby.
2: Yeah.
0: Unfortunately, we won't get since it's Lego. We won't get the inside joke of Colt Forty Five. But Lego Lego has a way of sneaking stuff like that in. But if they do a Colt Forty Five Orlando moment with him. Sometimes in it, I will crack up, totally crack up. Did you pick up Romulus too, sir?
1: Uh, no.
0: <laughs> so, folks I... out there, Brian Edward Hills, Romulus, the issue two released Wednesday. Just had to remind Afro Nerd about that.
1: But I will do it tomorrow at a shop that I get, our other shop that I go to out there in um, Woodmere. Uh, folks, it's been real, uh, Captain. Be safe. Um, you know, all our thoughts to your to your family and um, Claire, Daryl, always continue supporting us. More Christmas crap. <laughs> I, hate, I don't want to say I hate Christmas music, but it, we we have to play it. Uh, Louis Armstrong remix, Baby, it's cold outside, and it is. See you next week. It's been real.
0: Enjoy, folks.
1: I really.
2: Outside. I wish I knew how Tickle the death that you dropped in To break this You dropped it.